Can you text your dad and ask him if he likes butts? No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what do you think he would say? Why you do that? <laughs> Maybe. I don't think he would even text me back, though. Really? My dad doesn't like to text. I asked him once, Dad, do you use text message? And he goes, uh, no. I was like, why? And he goes, like, it's, it don't work. And I was like, why does it not work? And he's like, I try, it don't work. Today, I sit down with the Dallas artist, Sarah Dang. We talk about her father's history with Vietnam, her interracial family, her upcoming in art, and a lot of off-topic things. Ever wanted to start up a conversation with someone new and interesting? You're in luck. I'm doing it for you. You're listening to One on One. Good day. I'm your host, Elijah Mora. You're listening to One on One. I'm here today with my special guest, Sarah Ding, chalk artist, illustrator, painter, and a gig making some very interesting displays at your local half price books. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks. The way we start this out is we just want to like just take it from the top. Like, where are you from? What are your parents like? Is art in the family? Do other people do that or creative stuff? Um, okay, so I am, I was born and raised in Dallas, uh, up until I was 12. My parents got divorced and then I moved with my mom and my sister to Lubbock, Texas. Okay. What, what age were you when that happened, the move and the divorce and all that? Uh, between 12 and 13. Okay. Um, so when I was that age, um, I really leaned more on artwork too. Like I had always been interested in art. I think the first thing that I started drawing was in, in kindergarten was um, like mermaids. Okay. It was like the little mermaid, um, the movie had just, had been out and like mermaids were a thing. It was really great. And I was really into Were you mermaids. coloring or drawing first or both or? Um, both, I would okay. say. Um, you know, you start off with like coloring books mm-hmm. and then you really start working on like line works, like drawing things like actual form and shape. Mm-hmm. Um, I, something I really take pride in as a, when I was a kindergartner was that I was drawing, um, if I was drawing a mermaid, like my friends would be drawing the head and tail, like literally this triangle part of the tail attached to the head. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. I got a body attached to this head and tail. Like there is a middle between this beginning and end. You know what I mean? So you were observant and condescending to everybody else. I know. It's a little shit. But you knew what you were doing. Yeah, but I had a great mom who showed me how to do it. Like she she's creative. She's very um crafty. I wouldn't say she's uh artistic in the sense of like painting or like that kind of uh fine arts artistic, Mm -hmm. but, um, she'd always had a very creative side and a creative eye for things. Um, she's the kind of person that likes making, uh, like flower bouquets and stuff like that. Okay. Like kind of a homemaker type person. Oh yeah, for sure. Very crafty. Yeah. She, um, she used to help us make our own Halloween costumes. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, wait, so you have to stop there. What was, what kind of Halloween costumes did she make? And (laughs) well, one year, um, we had just seen the hunchback of Notre Dame. Great film. Yeah. And, um, my sister 
wanted to be uh, Esmeralda, the gypsy. Mm-hmm. And so we went out to like Toys R Us or I forgot where it was, but we bought her a costume. And it wasn't until the last minute that I decided I wanted to be a gypsy too. Okay. I think I planned on being something else, like a, a cat or something like that. But then I decided last minute that I really wanted to be like the night before Halloween and all the Halloween costumes are sold out, you know, mm-hmm. like I wanted to be a gypsy. So mom was like, okay, we're going to make this happen. I'm going to make you a gypsy. So, um, she helped me sew like this skirt together with, um, these like jingly, um, kind of like, a they're like coins, but they're, um, they would jingle like in chime together. And then all these like sequined, um, headbands and like this, uh, shirt and everything was stuff she picked up from like thrift stores and mm-hmm. um the like uh, local michael's arts and crafts and she helped me make a gypsy costume did it look better than your sisters oh. that you bought i think it did and and like i think at the time you know it's easy as a child to like look at another child and like want like covet what they have you know be mm-hmm. envious but in hindsight looking back at the pictures and stuff oh like oh man that was an awesome co- costume. Yeah. I'm really glad that. What other kinds of costumes did she make for y'all? Um, let's see. There was another year where we dressed up as like vehicles, like cars. <laughs> this is before the movie Cars ever. No, yeah, we didn't dress up like cars, like the, the movie Cars. Um, we took cardboard boxes and we made vehicle costumes out of them. That's amazing. Yeah, it was actually pretty cool because it turned into a, a thing at school where we had a parade of cars Mm -hmm. and so all the students had to do something kind of like this but um what color car were you i think it was yellow okay (laughs) like bus colored but it was not a bus (laughs) (laughs) um but i remember having a lot of fun doing it and um working with cardboard for my very first time which is really funny it's interesting now like just even saying like a box cutter Mm -hmm. box cutter and um I must have been like the fourth grade, so <laughs> there's a there's a there's a small dinosaur that's <laughs> sitting next and snoring. Just just elbow her and wake her up. There's my 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 pug is here on the on the couch sitting with Sarah and she <laughs> she she dozed off a little bit. Anyways, back to your 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 car. Right. Um so we used uh, those solo cups to create like the headlights and things. Mm-hmm. And we used vellum to put over the headlights to what create like, um, it's a semi-transparent paper okay. that you can buy in little sheets. They use it for like wedding invitations. You might see them in like, um, like Hallmark cards. Separating. Is it like tissue paper? It looks like it's a little bit thicker than tissue paper. Gotcha. But it's the same type of material. Just thicker. Yes. And it's like that cloudy, foggy look. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And so we put those or like over the headlights, you know, and then, um, we painted the car and then we had like stickers and all kinds of cool stuff to put over it. And it was a lot of fun. Um, we used suspenders to hold the car. Car I feel like that's, you know, now that you're saying all this, it sounds in the nineties, that was pretty common to make these (laughs) suspender cars. I don't know where the idea came from. If it was, you know, like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk in high school, but it was a 
yeah, I, that was a thing that, that people did for sure. I remember seeing that on like Barney yeah. and wanting that and to make something like that. But I don't know if it ever came to fruition, but. Yeah, I actually really appreciated um, the school I went to for its creativity. Um, a lot of the projects were things that I really could get into because they, they were moments where you had to really like uh, be a designer. You had to really think about what you were making. Like one of the other projects we did. This is an elementary school? Yes. Elementary really? school. What mm-hmm. elementary school? I went to Pinkerton Elementary School. And this is a public school? Yes. In Dallas? It's in Coppell. Okay. But yes. But in the Dallas Dallas Metroplex. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, oh man. Okay. So I liked the school for its projects and, and its creativity building in that sense. Mm-hmm. It was really good for that. Um like for example, on uh, for like Valentine's Day, we had to create our own mailboxes so that we could pass each other. Mm, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Should make and them then, out of like Kleenex boxes. Um, most of the students did. I did not make it out of a Kleenex uh, box. Yes, gold star award. I used a bag. A bag. <laughs> a bag. Like a plastic bag. Mm-mm. Um, I got um those like craft bags from. Uh, like Michael Michaels or something, and 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 I decided I really wanted to think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. You know what I yeah. mean? And um, I made mine out of a bag, um, and it was great because I I remade like the handles and stuff for it, mm-hmm. and I uh put, I decorated it the way I wanted to decorate it, and I don't know, I really enjoyed it because if you looked up looked at the lineup of all the valentine's boxes that were there mine was the only one that was like towering over everyone else's and it's like this giant like red and gold and like colorful bag and it was i mean it was beautiful and i was i was so happy with it i was so proud but then i remember thinking oh mine is so different like i remember getting to to the class and like what year was this how old were you third grade third grade okay um i remember getting to class and seeing everyone else's projects and I remember like this coldness coming over me and I was like, oh my gosh. So did you know so... you had done something different? Like, no. So you were just doing your thing. Yeah. Figuring everybody else would. Everybody else you found out were sheep and they had <laughs> done the same thing. And you walk in and instead of feeling like an innovator, you feel like an outsider. I was so proud of my bag before I like before I got to school. I was so happy and I'd even like, um, my mom and I had even, um, reinforced the inside of the bag so that wouldn't be easy to tear. And, um, it'd be easy to hold like maybe heavier Valentine's and you know, the ones with candies or Mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, yeah. I was so excited and happy. And then when I got to class, I was like, Oh God. So did you show it off? Were you ridiculed? Were you burned at the stake? What happened? There is this one sassy girl that walked over to me name her (laughs) name her it was third grade you can do it i can't remember her name i'm terrible with names just give me a first name i know it's something no i remember names from fifth grade and up jenny was it a michaela it could have been a caroline a caroline i think it was caroline and her last name started with a p 
And it was a fancy last name. Caroline it was a fancy Pinciotti. If you are out there, <laughs> you're a terrible person. I hope you've grown up into a well-matured and balanced adult, but we're fighting right now. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what did, what did Caroline, this demon child do? Oh, this is the same girl who told me my flyaways looked like I had devil horns. So she came over to me with did my bag. Did you have bag. a lot of flyaways then? Oh, I did. My hair was such a mess. Like I would always wear my, I had really, really, really long hair. Like people would ask me if it was part of my religion or something. And no. How long was your hair? It was past my butt. Well, I think that's a, you know, let's just throw the race out here. You're half Asian. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a thing with Asian people is to have really long hair and to like, is that, a, is that, I mean, I don't know if it's related to the culture, but I know I had some Asian friends growing up and the ones that were girls, it was like, they were very proud of their long hair, very long hair. Is that part of the culture in any way or? No, my mom really loved my long hair. She said I had a face for it. Whereas like my sister, she wanted Melissa to have short hair. She loved Melissa with cropped short hair. Like, um, was it a bowl cut? My, our bangs were bowl cut. The bangs. I like it. Uh, I had a bowl cut. People thought I was Asian when I was, when I was little because I had a bowl cut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, well, anyway, she came up to me and she was like, why'd you bring a, bag and and I was like it's it's my valentine's box you know and I was so nervous because she had pointed it out before I had any time to like think of excuses or yeah. whatever my child brain and you could think confident of enough to be like because my bag is dope yeah I wasn't at the time no I had super I had so many insecurities as a child um probably everyone you know it's fourth grade it's a tough year yeah but also like my the time my parents were not, um, there was a lot of disharmony in my household, you know, and it was getting to a point where even as a child, I knew that my parents didn't belong together. And if you visit, like when you're a child and you're visiting your friends, like homes, and you can see the difference between like the relationships between their parents and then you compare them to your own, you can like, even as a child, you can see those differences. You can see where maybe you're missing something. So when did you start to notice that kind of split, I guess, between your parents that that wasn't copacetic? Because I feel like when you're when you're a kid, you don't really know anything's not normal until you have, like you said, a reference. Because mm-hmm. if not, it's like, yeah, my parents are either always happy or they always don't like each other. But that's just the way it is because that's right. all I know. Well, I had a friend named Jennifer and she actually only lived like a few blocks away from me. Um her parents always seemed to be like really close and joking and laughing with one another. And, you know, and my parents always seemed to have like this wall between them. Like they never really agreed on anything. My dad was always angry if my mom moved his like shit somewhere else, you know? Oh, I thought you were going to say if she just moved, period. No, no, no. Don't move. (laughs) No, like she would, she like, uh, they just never agreed. There was a lot of like, um just like disagreements between them over all kinds of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both set in their ways separately. And uh, um, so I, I think that whenever I um, realized that they didn't really belong together, I was okay with it. Cause 
I had this idea in my head that once they did get separated, like once it, once they made that decision to um, get a divorce, that things would be better for everyone. Okay. Did any of that trickle down to you guys or it was just they didn't like each other? Oh. Did that resentment like come out on you guys at all or? Okay. So my mom, um, she had a lot of, uh, a bit, a bit of an anxiety disorder okay. at that point in time. And she had to, she had to really deal with things on her own for the most part. She didn't really have um, a lot of friends. So, uh, she kind of like leaned on me quite a bit, you know, um, just talking to me. She was just, she wanted to always be honest with me and Melissa, you know, about how she was feeling or what she was thinking, what regarded my dad or not. And, um, so when she talked to me about my dad, um, the thing is that I'm a bit of a daddy's girl, like, uh, dad always, he, he kind of always wanted a boy, but, um, he got two girls instead. So when it came to like going on fishing trips or like doing things, um, that you would normally take maybe a son on, I would volunteer. Like, I want to go fishing. Mm-hmm. I want to go camping. I want to go with you, you know? So are you good at fishing? I had a competition with my dad one time and I caught 12 and he caught nine. Well, yeah, I forgot what kind of fish it was, but it was, it was a long time in ago. In what period of time did you catch the 12? In a three hour period. Is it skill or is it luck? I think it's a bit of both. I think that, um, you have to bait your hook just right. Cause if you lose the bait before and not realize it, then you can just be sitting there with an empty hook and nothing's going to catch an empty hook. So is there, have you seen the, have you seen the Goofy movie? The first yes. One? Yes, I have. Is there such a thing as a perfect cast? Um, I think that there's really shitty casts. Like if you don't go far enough, like it depends on where you are too. If you're like in a, um, cause like if you're, when you're fishing and you're too close to like too shallow area, then you're not going to get anything. Um, it kind of depends on where you're fishing too, though. We had a few different fishing spots around the Dallas area. Um, but we didn't, we never fly fishing. I think that in the Goofy movie, they were like fly fishing where Mm. you don't have, um, it's not the same thing as like when you're just fishing. What's the difference? Uh, I think one has like the catch on your pulse. Like when you're reeling, like one is you're, you're really putting your hook like further out into, um, like a lake or something like still water. Mm-hmm. It's not, or like even like you're not, it's not anywhere close to, you know, like you, you see like a cartoon and like someone's fishing and the hook and line is like directly in front of them. Mm-hmm. That's like the kind of fishing my dad and I did fly mm. fishing is when you're out there and you're like standing knee deep in water and you're really putting your fish and hook out there. Like you're trying to get much bigger mm. fish. I see. Yeah. Like we didn't catch very big fish. They were always like a little bit bigger than palm size. Maybe. Did you, did you eat them? Did y'all fly oh, them yeah. and all that? My mom was pissed. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like she's like, well, let's just go buy the fish. Like dad would bring home Is things. Is that safe? Like now what you know? Oh, I, mean, I, I mean, don't, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I if think, you if you cook it, it's probably fine, right? Yeah, because you weren't I hope eating so. it raw, right? No, oh no, he would he would cook them for sure. Um, so we actually lived with one of my great aunts. We call her great aunt. She's she actually wasn't really 
blood related, but she was Vietnamese. And if you're Vietnamese, you're family. And um, she came and she was living with us for a while. And so dad would catch fish, bring them home and she would descale them and he would fry them up. And then we would eat them with our rice and vegetables, like steamed vegetables. Was there a lot of salt on these fish? Yes. Very salty. All of his marinades were like lots of soy sauce. (laughs) But I mean, dad was an amazing cook. Like I Melissa and I swear by it in the sense of, um, my sister and I, we, we, we think that he could have like opened his own restaurant and the better cook than mom, but very yeah. sodium content on both. Yes. Both my mom and dad love to, um, like when they cook, they have a lot of saltiness in their flavors. So in my own personal cooking, I've kind of strayed away from it, but, uh, my dad, his food is always very flavorful and like, if something was meant to be crispy, he, he he did it just right. You know, it wasn't like crunching through something really hard and terrible. You know, it was it was mm-hmm. always really good. Um, funny story. This is to the, this this is a, a testament to the kind of um, resourcefulness my dad is. Uh, he would go to the park and he would hunt duck. <laughs> this is legal, a hundred percent legal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Or he would catch turtles and he would bring them home and he, he, he would cook them. I remember distinctly and Melissa and I weren't like, as kids, we were like, what, what? Is this what Vietnamese people do? No, they, I can't they, speak. No, not everyone does this. turtles from the park. <laughs> not everyone does uproot this. Uproot them from their homes and boil oh, them. Oh God. So my mom... When that kind of stuff happened, I remember distinctly this one time, uh, dad brought home a turtle and Melissa and I thought we had got a new pet. So we named him and we were so excited about having this pet turtle. What did turtle. you name this pet? I can't remember. I can't remember. Melissa's the one who named him. I think it was like, it was something very simple. Like Tyler. Like Pete. Pete. It was like, it was something super simple. R.I.P. Shout out to Pete out there in turtle heaven. Turtle heaven. Um, but then we got home from school that day. And like the next day and he was gone, he was not in his bucket. And, uh, we were like, dad had invited the family over for turtle soup. And mom was like, yep, Melissa. She was like, my, like the girls and I are going to go to Sonic. We'll be back in about two hours. (laughs) So Melissa and I did not partake in that sense of. In the sacrifice. Yeah. I think that even then I remember being kind of in shock, like. Was your dad what? like, he sounds like he's living off the land here. Was he ever like living that way? Like, is he immigrant from Vietnam? So he's- he is the youngest of 12 okay. children. They, they, um, immigrated during the Vietnam war. Okay. My dad was one of the Which last. Which was the seventies, 70, 73, 69, 73, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Late 60s, early 70s. Was he 70s. fighting in that or he was just trying to escape? He was a that? lieutenant during the war. He was part of the South Vietnamese resistance. Okay. <laughs> That's the bug. <laughs> so do you know a lot about the Vietnam War? Uh, first televised war in history. Okay. I don't know a lot just about it. Just give us some fast facts summary real quick. Um, 60 seconds or less. Okay. So North Vietnamese wanted, like wanted a communist uh, country. 
And so the South Vietnamese did not, and America, like America, helped the South. We're trying to help the resistance of the South Vietnamese, like um, so it was maintain. A civil war. Yes. Okay. It was a civil war between North and South. I still get questions. People still ask me, like, "Well, is your family part of the South or are they part of the North?" And I'm like, "Does it matter? <laughs> it happened so long ago." Yeah. You know, but um, to some people, it's still <laughs> it's still uh, is a thing. Um, but my dad, um, he was lieutenant during the war. He was put into a POW camp and he escaped from that POW camp. By the north, obviously. Yes. Was there, were there allies on the north side? Like other um, countries? I think that there was, uh, China. China was, um, part of the, they, they helped supply weapons and some troops to the Vietnam War for the North Vietnamese. Okay. Um, but wasn't China, is China's an ally of ours, right? Of the U.S., yes. After Pearl Harbor. After World War II, yes. It, so that must have been kind of... I think so. Kind of weird, right? The red side, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, it is, I'm it just is kind saying, of weird. you know, if, you're, if you're, you know, yeah. if we're friends after you blew up my house <laughs> and then we go to war and some of our homies and you help out the other people that aren't our friends i think sarah yeah definitely i think it's all because i think it was like a um i think it, it was a com like a decision for communism do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and people say that like it's a very scary wor- word um but I know that, like, I know that uh, personally, I think that the that sometimes words, like the terms of things, can be uh, kind of more scary than they are, you know? Yeah. Like, I think that um, communism works well for some countries and doesn't for others. You know, okay. it just really depends. Yeah. Um, Probably on the, like anything else, the leadership, right? Yes. And what their intentions are. Do you think, though... In that for, if anybody is freaking out about the C word, Mm -hmm. do you think that with communism, it's a, it's more prone to corruption than a democratic republic? Like, is it easier to corrupt that system? I think three years ago, I would say yes, but I think that, I don't know, government is a really tough, tough subject for me because... I think there are so many ways that things can be corrupted, even in a democratic society. Um, There should be checks and balances. I mean, all of our government and politics classes, like all of our classes have told us that there should be checks and balances. Mm -hmm. But from what I've like seen on the news, sometimes those kinds of things, sometimes those things like uh, fall through, like they don't, Yeah, they don't work. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that it would be biased of me to say anything when I haven't, I mean, I have not had any experiences living under a communist like state, you know? Mm -hmm. So I can't really say that it's terrible, but I know that, um, it creates stability for some societies Mm -hmm. where there used to be like lots of poverty and chaos and crime. And like, do I mean, I think, I think something, you know, with, any governmental system also that you have Mm -hmm. to take into account is 
a system that works in a time of prosperity versus a system that works in a time of poverty right. is different. And, you know, historically dictatorships and authoritarian societies work best during when the, when the majority of the country is impoverished, mm-hmm. um, just in the sense of keeping everyone alive. Yeah. It's not best for obviously a thriving innovation and progress and to thrive, but in a time when resources are very scarce, those are the systems that have kept humanity alive to get to the next point mm-hmm. when people were fed, when they could do a revolution and then give everyone more of a choice. I'm not saying in terms of morality, am I for or against one or the other, but it's communism in a society that is impoverished versus one that is prospering mm-hmm. would have different outcomes also. Um, so jumping back to how did, so how did your dad get here? He was, he was a prisoner of war. Mm-hmm. How did he escape? How did he get over here? How did he meet your mom? How did all that happen? Um, okay. So, uh, from what my dad told me, he escaped with three other men, um, who didn't make it. Uh, he was, he did though. So he, he's one of three that made it out. How did he tell you how he got out? No, like he, his English is not very good, but, uh, like he, he can understand more than he can speak most of the time. Um, there is a language barrier. So do you speak to your dad in Vietnamese? No, not really. Um, when I was much younger, I was learning Vietnamese from like my grandparents and being around them really makes a difference. But when we moved to Lubbock, um, anything that I had learned uh, really was like diminished and got kind of uh, kind of lost it. Like um, I can still listen and understand most of the time, but speaking is so hard. It's um, it's one of those things that I like, so, like on my to do list of like I want to mm-hmm. learn. So Vietnamese does your mom point. speak Vietnamese? Mm-mm. Really? No. Okay, so. Tell me about how he escapes, how he gets over here and how he meets your mom. Cause I'm interested in that. She doesn't speak. Okay. So he escaped. I'm not exactly sure how he escaped. I do know that, um, a small side story here. He has this tattoo of this woman on his arm mm-hmm. and it's actually one of the girls from his village. And, uh, he told me that she died while in the POW camp. Like she got really sick. Mm-hmm. But she, because she didn't know anyone else but him from the village, uh, she kind of like became his shadow. Like she would follow him everywhere. Mm. Um, so while he was there, after she passed away, he he got that tattoo um, to like in memory of her. And um, so anyway, he escaped from the POW camp. Uh, he uh, came to the United States, applied for citizenship excuse me, applied for citizenship and he got it. He had, he, his sisters had already moved here. Like at the very beginning of the war, um, my family thought it would be a really good idea to move the daughters first. So all the women, my grandmother, um, and then, uh, her daughters. So like my aunts, they all moved to the United States, immediately got put into the education system. They've all got really good educations and they kind of live a little bit everywhere now. Like one of them lives in Texas, but the other two, one lives in Australia, um, about two hours outside of Sydney, and the other one lives in California, and she's a, a, jur- a journalist and a writer. The other one's like a professor. She's a, She speaks like five different languages. <laughs> so it was really great opportunity for my family because when they came to the U.S., um, they were able to learn and educate themselves and, and to um, get 
like these thriving careers in the U.S. So um, my dad came and he he first started out as like a the way he met my mom is he was um, helping uh, as a car mechanic. He was working at a, a shop. My mom had some car trouble. Mm. So uh, that's how so she met my dad. you don't know how your dad like Physically, migrated, got on the boat, got here. I don't. I only, I, I'm assuming that it's, um, he had connections, um, especially because he already Those had family. Those are some family. serious connects to have. Yeah. Can you get me over the ocean? <laughs> I just escaped from a war camp. Would you tell someone that? Well, okay. So this is, this is what I'll say. My, de- my grandfather, um, he was very big in the, um, he was very, he was very, uh, involved in the politic Vietnamese politics. Mm-hmm. Um, he was so involved that, um, he was like really close to the last, I think it's the last emperor of Vietnam. Okay. And, uh, at one point the brother um of the of the Vietnamese emperor the last Vietnamese emperor I, I might be I might be fudging this all up like I know that at some point my grandfather had some very big strong political connections and then once um the war became extremely like uh significantly harder and things like power started to really um disbalance themselves my grandfather had to um he was basically like exiled to his own, to his own like property, his whole family. And so he had to make a decision, like stay in Vietnam or leave. And so he decided he needed his family to uproot and leave. Um, I don't know all of the details since there is like this language barrier. And since but I this didn't, is when, when your grandfather decided that they needed to uproot and leave, mm-hmm. That was when your dad was like, got the message and was like, I need to get out of this camp and leave. No, this was all the very this beginning. This was before. Was like even, he was yeah. like, shit's about to go down. Yeah. We need to get out. But your dad got stuck. Oh yeah. No, they moved the women. And then I think my, um, like the men that had to stay, they were drafted into the war. Mm. My dad was one of them. How so, long did, do you know how long he fought in the war? I don't know for sure. I need you to have more facts about your dad in Vietnam. War. He doesn't talk about it though. Yeah, I would that's imagine. I mean, that's a, that's pretty tough. I I would I feel like on on one hand it'd be great just to listen to the stories of somebody like that, but Yeah. It's such a traumatic thing and it's been so long. I feel it's probably even harder to go there than, you know, if it was like last year I went to war versus 30, 40 years ago. I think that he's come to more like better terms with um, his past now than he has before. Like when, when I was a kid, he never talked about it. Has like, he if been I back asked, there since? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's why like he, yes, he has been back there since um, he's visited family that just never, that never left, mm-hmm. um, which was really good because I know he missed, he missed Vietnam. And he says things like he really wants to take Melissa and I one day. Mm-hmm. But you've um, never been. I've never been to Vietnam. But you're down to go. Yes. It's stable now, the whole country. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, originally, like uh, my father had all these worries that since he was part of the South Vietnamese that um, he would get flagged in some way if he ever went back. Did the North win? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. This just goes to show you how... Uh, no. I'm going to blame it on the school system. School system <laughs> failed me. World history. 
This didn't teach me anything. No, no, the North one. Um, so uh, my dad has been back since. Um, he's definitely come to terms more with his past, but there's still certain things that um, I guess like it's, it's uh, experience as a child having asked and then not getting answers, like literally being shouted at, like, no, I don't want to talk about it. You know, mm. shut down so hard that now yeah. even as an adult, I don't, you don't ask. Yeah. Is there anyone he talks to about that stuff or? I think he's talked to my uncles about it. Mm -hmm. I also think that um, there's a chance that if I did ask about it, he might, he's told me little things like what I've just said here, but mm -hmm. um, he doesn't, I don't think he knows how to. Um, Cope? No, like articulate what mm -hmm. he wants to say. I see. In English. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, I don't really ask about that kind of stuff. And he's, I don't know. He's, he seems so peaceful now. He's about to like retire and he's got mm -hmm. like, he's got a lot of um, things going for him right now. And so what like, does he do now or what was his profession? You said he was a car mechanic. He met yes. your mom. And then he got his um, certification to be a radio tech engineer. Okay. So that's what he does now. And like he's been broadcast doing radio stuff. Mm -mm. He does the actual like technical side of, of um, radio, of radio. Um, what are they called? Like uh, the the police radios that they use, mm, CB radios, stuff yeah, like that. stuff like mm -hmm. that. He knows how to fix them. He knows all of the ins and outs. He's like of... an RF, like engineer, technician, things of that sort. Yes, he gotcha. graduated highest in his class. Um, so he. Where do you go to school? I don't remember. I think it's a. Just do a plug for MIT Tennessee. Tech right now. Let's just say it's MIT. <laughs> I think he was in Tennessee or something <laughs> like that. I don't. <laughs> But he's extremely smart. Um, he's the person that I looked up to a lot during school for like math and mm -hmm. science. Um, he taught me all of the, his shortcuts and how to look at it. Even though there was this language barrier, mm -hmm. he was able to really, he, he was the best tutor for that kind of stuff. Yeah. My mom, on the other hand, she was more of like the English person. Like she was the storyteller. She mm -hmm. was the one who could explain things very well, like what certain words meant, you know? Mm -hmm. I remember like one of the questions, like one of the things I would always ask my mom was like, mom, what does this mean? You know? Mm -hmm. And she was always able to explain things to me that way. Mm -hmm. Like whatever, what a word, a phrase, yeah. um, an event, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, In the East, do you think that like STEM, like science, math, what's the T stand for? Technology? I don't know what it stands for. But you know, the subjects... Uh, 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 that it's, uh, I'm just going to go, it's science, technology, English, mathematics. I don't mm -hmm. even know if that's right. It's probably wrong. But do you think that that stuff is, is, uh, is more prominent in the East in general for them to teach like about math and at an earlier age and concepts of, of that sort? I think math is, um, kind of like a universal language. Mm -hmm. So I think that they, it's kind of like how... Because we're not great at math as Americans. Like nobody knows us for being our education disciplined system, at math. It, oh, I think, don't worry. We're going to get to education. Yeah. But math isn't something we're known for. No. Um, I will say that I think that the reason why um, it seems like Asian countries are, are so much more... Um, uh, educated when it comes to like math and science is because it's a, it's one of those subjects that provides stability and in a, in a family and like culturally, you know, you've got, 
Um, you've got your children who are supposed to take care of like the oldest or who like who it depends on the on the culture but i know in, in our family like typically the your children will eventually take care of their parents like take care of you you know mm-hmm. so um ideally you want your kids to be set up you know yeah. you want them to have stability stability financially mm-hmm. um so you kind of pressure them to take subjects that you know will have will reap a better jobs yeah Exactly. Based on like their, you, you tell, you have them invest more of their time and efforts into those kinds of fields. Cause I know that when I was growing up, my dad was like medical field, you need to be in the medical field. You need mm-hmm. to be a pharmacist or a doctor or a nurse or something in that area. Cause that is where the so money is at. Was it a disappointment at. to him that you went into the creative industry? I think a little bit. Yeah. Did that weigh on you at all in terms of like, what should I do? What should I be? Does it still weigh on you? When I was in college, I switched majors to a medical, uh, like a, a medical major. Like I was going to. Really? Yeah. How many years in was that? Um, so I was a year and a half in um, college and I was like a studio art major is what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And my dad was like, well, how are you going to make money with that? You're not going to make money with that. You're mm-hmm. not going to, you're not going to be okay if you're taking, if you have a job like that, or like if you get a job in the art field, you know? And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I don't care about money in that sense. Like I, I just want to be able to love what I do yeah. and wake up happy and excited to do it. And, um, my mom was kind of pressuring me a little bit. Like she'd always been more encouraging with my creative side, but I don't think she realized that I wanted to do something like that for a career. Mm-hmm. I think she thought of it was like to stay, um, it was just conduce a, a good hobby, like conducive to she just thought it was keeping you busy and, and, yeah. and keeping you out of trouble, keeping you off of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't pregnant. You didn't rob a bank, no. anything of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so when I went to college and I was like, I'm going to be a studio art major. My parents were kind of like, uh, are you sure that's, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Yeah. Cause and at that moment they assumed she's not moving out till she's 35. That's what they got from that. Well, <laughs> that's a funny way to look at it. But I will say that when I was 17, my mom and sister moved away from me. We're going to take a quick break for a sponsor role. We'll be right back with this episode of The Artist. This podcast is sponsored by Movement Creative and Event Services. We're not the watch company, but we are someone to watch. Serving brands, agencies, businesses, and consumers with all your event and creative needs in the form of photography, videography, event design, venue selection, vendor management, production, entertainment, and more. You can find more about us on the web at www.mvmntcreative.com. That's www.mvmntcreative.com. Now back to your regularly scheduled program. And um, I was in high school. I was, it was my senior year and I was part of the International Baccalaureate Program, IB. Which um, is a pretty tough academic They call it level. social suicide. Social suicide. They do. Okay, wow, well, I was trying to talk you up there, but okay, you're just you know, giving <laughs> up your life and you're a nerd. And I, Yes, okay. 
I um, it's above AP though. Yes, you're taking college level courses, but basically the curriculum is on an international standard. So the same classes, the same things you're learning in class are being learned in a different, like other countries with the same program. And they give you college credits? Yes. Okay. Um, well, you earn the college credits after you take the IB tests mm. as well. So, I mean, there's certain things that, there's some really great benefits that come with being in the IB program. Um, I do remember though, making the decision to be in the program. Uh, I was 16 and you can, you, it's, there are some school systems that let you take certain courses IB, but when I, when I was in Lubbock, Lubbock high school did not let you do that. Um, at the time that I was there, they, you either go all IB or no IB. Mm. Is there a diverse mix of kids in like socioeconomic backgrounds or what's like the, is there a majority of certain type of kid in there? No, actually, uh, I mean, there was an even mix between all kinds of, of people. Um, I didn't see any one ethnicity over another. Although Lubbock had, has a very small pool of different, of like varying ethnicities when mm-hmm. I was there, um, at least in high school. Yeah. Um, Lubbock High was like predominantly um, Hispanic and Mexican. Mm-hmm. Um, but the classes I was taking, I mean, I felt like there was more of a balance um, ethnicities wise. Like I had no problems making friends um before I got into IB, but then when you get into IB, uh, the thing is you become friends with people that you didn't think you were going to be friends with ever. Yeah. Um, and you learn things that some of your classmates in AP classes are not learning that Mm -hmm. they don't, they don't have any, um, idea about it. Yeah. Um, and then, then on the other half of that is sometimes they are the same things. Like you're still learning the same, like, you're still taking the same physics course, you know, mm-hmm. but your test is going to be different. Your quizzes are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. They're um, based on a more international like criteria. Whereas like in class, they're talking about like more like Americanized standard testing. Is there like a, a fee or tuition for that? IB? Mm-hmm. No, there isn't. Um, but there is a big time investment. I mean, you have to do things like you're basically writing a thesis while you're in high school. It's called mm. the extended essay. Mm. Um, your tests are a bit different. You're, I think at the, I think I remember you, you could take, like you, you could take only IB um, classes. You, you just couldn't, you can take any like regular classes or AP classes, although you were paired in AP classes with other students. So like um, it would be an AP IB class is what it was. So it'd be a mix of AP students and a mix of IB students in the same classroom, same teacher, same thing we're learning. Mm. But um, sometimes the IB students would um, have extra study periods. Like we would have extra time to, we would have, we would have to take extra time after school to do more testing and more, um, we'd have more assignments. Our homework was insane. It was terrible. Like that's why they called it social suicide was because you never really had time to do anything else. Like, you always had to work on your homework or prepare for an extra test that no one else had to take mm-hmm. or things like that. The good news is that if you took IB, like, um, you're promised certain things when you go to college and you're 
super prepared for college in that sense. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you are better organized, you have, um, a better system of how you, um, take notes and how you pay attention to lectures. You know, like when I started college, I had no problems keeping my grades up. Like I was like, Oh, cool. I got this. Mm-hmm. Um, you even, I even got like automatically accepted into the honors college mm. just for being an IB. Yeah. Um, do you feel like that did have an impact on your social development or yes, your social experience? I think that I was already a pretty awkward kid and high school, there wasn't a big difference. I, I think I made certain friends, but they were all very nerdy in such a beautiful way. Um, but, uh, I, I was by no means hip. In fact, I think I, um, retreated more into my shell. Like I'm very, I, in high school, I was extremely introverted. I still think of myself as pretty introverted, mm-hmm. but do you think you're hip now? No, okay. <laughs> I think that, I think that I, uh, navigate myself well through certain social situations, but I wouldn't say I'm hip. I don't, I don't think that, um, I don't even know what that term means anymore. Like hip. Am I cool? I don't know. I, mean, I think it's all subjective know. now, but what I'm saying is in high school, I didn't make friends very easily. So I don't think I was considered cool in that sense. Gotcha. Um, but when I got an IB and I started making friends with people that I didn't think I would ever be friends with, there was this turning point for me where I realized that everyone is insecure and everyone, um, thinks they frame their life with shoulds. You know what I mean? Like I should be friends with someone like this. Mm-hmm. I should live like this. I should behave like this. I should dress like this. I should act this way. You know, like things like that. And um, I started focusing more on what I could, you know, be doing, like who I could hang out with, like uh, things in that sense. Um, some of the classes I was taking in IB, I was a junior, but I was taking senior course levels. So some of the classes I took were with seniors, which was kind of funny. So I was like surrounded by people who were like older than me. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like that kind of impacted how I like, how I made friends too, you know? Like as in making older friends or? Yeah, like taking on a more mature perspective, you know? The, mm-hmm. I met some people that I felt like like the old souls, you know, people who just had their shit together, even though they're in high school, they know what they want to do with life. They know, um, where they're going. Mm-hmm. And it's those kinds of people that I revered and admired and I wanted to be more like. Mm-hmm. So when I started, um, making new friends, especially like my senior year and all those people were gone and I was making new friends, I was like, I need to be more secure in who I am. And so that was like a good starting point. I would say. That's a lot of introspection and like, into that at that age, I would say than, than most other kids are, are doing at that age. Yeah. And they're part of the should and whatnot. Um, I think it's cause like growing up with my mom, she, since she said she started raising us as a single parent, um, mm-hmm. she, I was always spending so much time talking with her and like, um, developing this perspective on life that was beyond my time. You know, like I was talking to someone who's like, like you, you, when you talk to your parents, you ever get that sense that they know more shit than you, you know what I mean? Especially like that age. Yeah. 
Oh, really? Okay. No, I'm just well. kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I, you know, to be honest, I, which will sound weird. I feel like I always wanted to have kids, which I don't have any right now. Mm-hmm. Since I was a child, I was like, wow, I want one of those. And, you know, people were like, you realize you're six years old. Aww. But I always knew that. But I always, but as I got older and older and, you know, kind of from my background and, you know, with family that not planned, obviously, but had some kids at 16, 18, you know, 19, 20, you get married, you have some kids. It's, it's pretty normal when you're from a working class, blue collar background versus middle class is like, wait till you're 30. It's mm-hmm. kind of like if you don't have kids by the time you're 22 and you're married, it's like, what's going on? Yeah. And I just remember thinking, I can never be a dad because I don't know enough. Because dads know everything. Like, you know, if you get a flat on your tire, they know how to fix that. <sighs> if the sink, you know, gets busted, they know how to fix that. They know how to make spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> you know, like... There's just so many things that if something goes wrong, dads figured out. I didn't even think that they figured it out. Like they just knew. And my grandfather, like I did so many things with him and just like shadowing and working. And I was just like, how do you know all this? Where does this, where does this come from? And (laughs) it just seemed unachievable. So I was like, I can't ever be a dad until I know everything because there's dads will never be stumped. And, you know, obviously older now, you know, that that's, that's not true. Um, and I feel like that though motivated me to be very broad in terms of my knowledge and capability that I'm like, I could fix a bike, make some really great spaghetti and <laughs> I can fix, I fixed a sink before. So, I mean... I'm good. If anybody has any kids out there that they want to get rid of or need adopting, hit me up. I'm 100% ready. I just <laughs> proved it. Um, anyways, moving on. Back back to you. I mean... I mean, well, I, I feel you. Like, I hear what you're saying. Like, I remember I, uh, uh, my dad really helped me out one um, show and tell. I really wanted to be... I wanted to have something awesome to show my classmates. Mm-hmm. I think this was like the, I think this was the third or fourth grade. And, um, my dad was like, I know what we can show him. I know something cool. And I was like, what? And he goes, what about a bow and arrow? And I was like, yeah, bow and arrow. That sounds, sounds great. Yeah. Sounds, yeah. So what he did was he made me a bow and arrow out of bamboo shoots so he took some bamboo shoots and uh, he crafted a bow and arrow so that we could, so that I could bring that to class and show and tell. It was great. And it was like a blunted arrow. It was like, could you do that now? Could you bring a bow and arrow to school? Probably not. Yeah. I don't think that would happen. No. Yeah. No, no, That's no. It's pretty cool that you did that then though. Yeah. But I mean, obviously I, I couldn't like demonstrate anything. And the yeah. arrow was actually like really blunted. Like it was... Like, I think that he originally made it. And it was That's like pretty spiked. cool, though, that your dad did that. Yeah. I wonder if he actually, you know, he probably had to do that when he was in the war at some point, I bet. That's how his skills came from. My like, dad definitely has survivalist skills. 
like just you can just see it in the way that he holds a knife the way that he does things um like when we're fishing or like anything we ever did when we're outdoors his the steadiness and dexterity of the way he would hold things or do things has always impressed me Mm -hmm. you know he had just like this grace of even like when he was um putting like he would catch a fish right the way like the swiftness and how he would like unhook the fish put it in the bucket and do everything like everything he did had like this smoothness to it mm-hmm. that I was so impressed with and I I truly admired like as a child I was like wow I you mean, know he sounds amazing I mean I want to be your dad or like him I wish I could interview your dad but you know I thought this through I don't know Vietnamese and if I did <laughs> and then I do it in Vietnamese, no one else would know. And it's a podcast, so I can't put captions on it. So, right. I mean, so I'm going to try to to get, focus this up a little bit. So, sure. your dad is from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Your grandfather, which was his dad, was part of some politics, royalty, emperor, some sort of thing there. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, we need to get out right before the war. Everybody got out, but your dad, for the most part. And some of his brothers, too. And his brothers. Your dad gets over here somehow. We don't know. By his quote-unquote connects. Mm-hmm. Great connects. Shout out to those people for getting your dad over here, whoever <laughs> they are. Your dad gets over here. He's somehow ends up in an automotive shop and then romances your mom. So tell him, So let's get back on how, how did that happen. Do you know more of that? Super honest. I have no idea. My mom is five nine, five ten. My dad is five two. And white woman Vietnamese man. Yes. Okay. In the wedding photos, my mom is sitting down and my dad is standing next to her. That is amazing. That is um, that is the epitome of the American dream. Anything can happen. You come here to America, short Vietnamese man, get a tall white woman. That's the American dream. She's a long legged beauty, I will be honest. Wow. Like my That's mom, amazing. Yeah, my mom has always been... I do want to be your dad. Done. <laughs> wow. Um, what a legend. Yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty fucking awesome. Um, so that happens. They meet. Romance. Your sister's born. There's just the two of you? I'm born. My, I'm older than You're my, older. Yes, okay, but I'm there's the just two of you. Two girls. Yes. You're born what year? 1989. And how long were they together before that? Do you know? Uh, two or three years. So two or three years. Because I think that they got together when my mom was 27-ish. They had me when I was 30, when they, she was 30. And got married pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And then three years, have you, have your sister. Mm-hmm. And then seems like your dad is pretty practical in terms of his skill set that he passes off to you. And we haven't talked a whole lot about your mom. We talked about the costumes and she's pretty, you know, self-sufficient in that. But it also sounds mm-hmm. like in terms of the introspection that your mom kind of taught you some skills on how to process things. Also, it seems like whether that was intentional or you picked that up. is definitely my, um, the cornerstone of my like morals, you know, like she, she helped me decide what was right and wrong. Okay. And she was able to explain why. Whereas like my dad, he was just very firm. He was like, no, or yes. You know, like mm-hmm. he didn't, he didn't really know how, to word things to a child, especially, um, Mm -hmm. like explain why. Yeah. Um, but like my mom could like, Sarah, why did you cut the bangs off of your sister? 
you know? And I was like, I want her to be pretty. And mom was like, (laughs) (laughs) mom was like, okay, this is wrong because, you know? And my dad was just like, why you do that? You know, like he was so mad. I I like that, that you can imitate a generic Asian accent and (laughs) it's appropriate and not offensive. That's phenomenal. These are things that we all wish we could do. (laughs) So your mom sets up this kind of moral background. You said you also learned some fundamentals of art though from her, right? Yeah. Where did she learn those from? Like, Um, she's always been pretty creative. I mean, like she's the one who taught me like little tricks that none of my like elementary school friends even knew like, um, crayons, you know, for example, uh, she would show me that you could color with crowns inside the lines or whatever. But if you took like a tissue or something and you, um, smeared and rubbed it, it would come this very nice, like clean opaque color. And you can mm. also like blend colors together. I didn't even know that now. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, you know, too. I, I, I still can't color. I hated coloring <laughs> as a child. And you know what I hated most about coloring was that much like anything that is popular in the culture is it was a social thing. So you're just like everybody got together and colored Mm -hmm. at school or at someone's house and I sucked at it. And so in that, I didn't have any way to relate to these kids. And I remember in kindergarten or first grade one time they gave us something to color and it was uh like had like a river and then grass and then Mm -hmm. just like a sky and maybe like the sun and like a bird something very basic and I remember I had figured out in kindergarten that you could color mix and my mind was blown I didn't know what like I you know they very briefly teach you the kind of primary colors and stuff, but I didn't really know. I didn't have a color wheel. I didn't know how to get to what I wanted to. I just knew certain things I could mix together and get other colors. And cause I was that kid that I never had Crayola brand crowns and it was always the eight pack of Rose art or six pack. Like <laughs> there was nothing fancy going on there. Mm-hmm. And they told us to, to color this sheet and they put it like on a timer and they're like, you've got 30 minutes or 15 or whatever it was. And I remember the person sitting across from me that time, they said, hey, you can use my colors. And they were that kid with like the 128 pack Crayola Whoa. that had, you know, like the mac and cheese yellow and fuchsia and, <laughs> you know, maroon and just all these Words that I had never heard before. Magenta. Magenta, uh, cyan, sky blue, all this other stuff. (laughs) Just crazy stuff. And so they're telling me this. And I remember thinking in such a dilemma because I was like, well, the water is usually depicted as blue and so is the sky. But this this doesn't seem right if I do both of these. And, And there were so many blues. And so I picked out all the blues and... I was such a, what do you call it? Like I was just, I would dig in. You oh, know, hard. Crowns. You would press them yeah. kind of hard. And so I, I didn't really know obviously anything about shading or, or that there was any, but I just knew it wasn't right. And so it, it didn't look right to me and I hate, and I didn't enjoy it. And I was just trying to make sure I stayed in the lines and it seemed so effortless for everybody else. And so I remember I got all the blues though. And I was like, I need to paint the sky and there, you know, color the sky and there's some clouds. And I kept raising my hand for the teacher 
And she was just ignoring me and just ignoring me and just ignoring me. And so I held my hand up for probably 25 of the 30 minutes and just ignoring me. And so I'm running out of time and I'm having this internal moral dilemma and I'm like, what color is the sky? I've got all these blues here, but I have no reference for what the sky is. And so I'm like, oh God, what do I do? I can't break the rules because that's wrong. I'm going to run out of time. If I don't finish, I'm going to fail. And then my mom's going to murder me and I'm going to be a failure. (laughs) And I'm just like looking, I see the window on the other side, but I can't see the sky because I'm not near it. So I'm like, and obviously there's no cursing as a, you know, as a, as a six year old, but internally I'm thinking, fuck it. Yeah. I got to go for it. (laughs) So I've got eight different blues in my hand and I go run up to the window and I hold them up to the sky to see which one is the most. And my teacher's like, Elijah, what are you doing? Why are you out of your seat? You know, and she just goes off all the questions. Why are you out of your seat? Who told you you could get up? And, you know, I'm just like, I needed to see, I needed to see, but I'm just trying to concentrate and pick out which one is the right blue. And so I, I, I know, I know I'm toast. Like she's screaming at me. But I look and then I'm like, ah, I guess this one. So I go back to my seat and I just do it. I'm like, God, this is awful. I suck at life. And then, you know, I I did all that and I I saw what colors things were outside. And I look across the table and, you know, my friend at the time, I don't know who it was. Johanna was one of my best friends in elementary school, but she was my best friend in elementary school, but I don't think she was at the school in, in, in first grade. But I remember I just looked across and hers just looked amazing. And oh. I was like... It's not if we're going to get this. this is, and, and, and from that point on, I just thought that's how life was going to be. It was me being untalented and unskilled because my brother was phenomenal at art also. And it was just like he was gifted. And I was this kid that much like today, all I had was questions. I didn't know how to do anything specifically. And I was just like, how do you do this? How does this work? And uh, anyways, those were sort of some of my first experiences with art and nowhere to kind of guide me through that but it sounds like you had the advantage because your mom was giving you the the secret skills here oh yeah no she had a she had a way of explaining things to me so I would understand why that was you know like like a a rule you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like a to color in the lines she was like outline it first I know there's an outline already but outline where the color should stop first and then color from there color from the out from the outline in inward to inside the shape that way you're not coloring from in towards out of the shape because that's how you would color out the lines right Mm -hmm. so she had like this way of showing me methods but my dad had a way of doing it with math you know so both of them had their own like processes and they showed me how to look at it from two different sides for different subjects um did your teacher when she was like why are you out of your seat? Did she, did you get in trouble for it at all? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got in trouble for, I was in trouble a lot when I was a kid for asking questions. I had, and I think this was me anytime I was learning a new subject. I'm usually that student that is tanking at the beginning because I have so many questions and I don't like attempt to do anything really mm-hmm. because I don't feel like I have all the resources. But once I figured all out, just, you know, I had, hundreds on all report cards, probably like K through sixth grade, almost like the entire time. That's and it good. was like a, when people were like, oh, well, your teacher's pet. I was like, are you, 
for serious. You know, it's, <laughs> this is elementary school. Like we're all on the same plane here. Like all you have to do is, is listen. But yeah, I got in trouble a lot. I remember in kindergarten, I had a, uh, I had a student teacher or assistant teacher, whatever, TA. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shout out to her because she was an awful person at the time. I hope she's gotten better. Her name was Miss Cerna. Okay. MS single because no one was about that. Um, she was, a, she was a, you know, maybe some stuff was going on in her life. Like I said, I hope she's gone off and it's done better and hopefully isn't teaching kids anymore. Mm-hmm. She was just a very mean lady and didn't have a lot of patience, which it's hard when you're wrangling kindergartners, but that's what she signed up for, you know, yeah. there's a bunch of kids. And like I said, I always just had questions you know, and so if someone was like, all right, go over there and color that sheet red and be like the whole sheet, part of the sheet, you need to draw <laughs> something on the sheet, one specific red, is there a time limit? You know, <laughs> is it a group thing? Do we do it in partners? Can we do it by ourselves? Like I had questions and I get mm-hmm. it. It's annoying. But as a kid, you know, trying to figure out you're trying to average up things and they, Mm -hmm. sometimes you're in groups, sometimes you're in partners, sometimes you do this. And so when there wasn't a detail, I was like, I don't know what to do here. Cause you didn't give me a detail, but I remember one time specifically they gave us these like pie trays and they filled them with sand and they were always timing us and I hated it. And they put a timer on for five minutes and they said, write the numbers one through 10 in the sand before the time is up. And I was like, oh God. I was set. I was so feeling so confident before they like, when they like set it up because I knew all the numbers. And I was mm-hmm. like, got this. <laughs> I'm in. But the fluke was, she said to write all the numbers across, like in the, the thing. You can't fit it across in one line, one through 10. And I tried so many times with all of my fingers. I tried with my pinky to make it smaller and I couldn't, you know, write it in the sand in this, you know, eight inch pie, tin, one through 10. And so I'm I'm holding my hand up and I'm like, because I just want to know what do I do because it's stuck here. And it didn't occur to me I could go to another line or start at the top and make multiple lines because you don't really write in lines when you're in kindergarten they don't really teach you that until they introduce notebook paper in like first grade and things of that sort mm-hmm. and um yeah so I just held my hand up and she just and it was we were sitting at it was like small groups so there was like five of us and she was sitting you know there and just straight up ignoring me oh man and uh so yeah there was a lot of that and uh you know then after it was done and then she just gave me like a whatever an f a frowny face for the day or whatever and was like you didn't finish and I was like and my mom raised hell with her and she was like, what is your problem? She was like, he asked too many questions. He doesn't do stuff. And she tore her apart. That's for sure. That's the best thing about moms though, is they come to your defense, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the times I got in trouble in elementary school, it was big. Uh, and it started off so small and innocent. Um, I had a crush on a boy. His name was Blake Mankin. Oh, wow. You remember Blake, but you don't remember Caroline. Okay. Uh, first loves will do that. He was a good guy. I'm pretty sure he's still a good guy. Blake Mankin. Yeah, I had a I had a big crush on him in he, kindergarten. Yeah, he had like 
beautiful blonde hair and blue eyes, blue eyes. But the thing about him though, is that he was always sweet, like always trying to include you in whatever games you were playing. Like if, if the boys were playing wall ball, he would be like, you're alone and not playing with anybody. Do you want to play with us? Wow. Sounds dreamy. I know. So, but for like a, I think it was like the second or third grade. Right. And, um, well, I had this friend, her name was Rashida. She was my best friend in elementary school that year. It'll be explained. Wait. So did you, you had a crush on this kid from kindergarten to third grade? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Like That's serious. Yeah. And y'all don't have any kids together now. No, 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 That no. is it a would long never... time. <laughs> All right. Well, talk about Rashida, who I'm feeling is not going to be your friend. Yeah. So... She was so sweet to me and um I uh I I admitted to her that I had a crush on Blake Mankin and that I had had had, had that crush for a very long time. And she was like, that's funny because I have a I have a crush on his friend Parker. And I don't remember Parker's last name, but Parker and they were they These were best the friends. These are the two widest names that you could Parker ever pick was- out. Blake and Parker. I know, right? But that Parker, would be Skyler and, you know, I don't know, Chandler now. I'm pretty, I, if I remember correctly, Parker was Hispanic. There's no way. That's impossible. No, his name, his name was Parker and he's Hispanic and he played the shit out of soccer. If anyone out there hears this <laughs> and they know anyone who is any shade of brown that is named Parker, comment, write in, I will buy you a pizza because I need birth certificate proof. Continue. So, um, Rashida had a crush on Parker. I had a crush on Blake and I drew a picture. I was, I think I was like a after school program, like why, like a YMCA program after school. Why care? That's what they used to call it. Yeah. Yes. And, um, Rashida was with me and I drew a picture of me and Blake and Uh, we were holding hands. And, uh, it, have you ever, do you know what precious moments is? Yeah. 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 So, I was really feeling like the influence of precious moments. That was a right? big so, deal. Those in, like, like in the precious moments for people that don't know what those were out there. It was mm-hmm. like a, it was a brand and it was a fad and it was these kind of these short, chubby looking, all it's like, like kids that were, some of them were angels and things of like that. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people that you could buy these embroidery kits and you would like embroider it yourself. Do you remember those? Yes. And you would like sew them and their eyes looked like giant teardrops, mm-hmm. you know, and their heads were enormous compared to the body. Yeah. They were like the, like chibi versions, like uh, they were like a back in the day, you know, everybody had them though. Like yeah. it was a thing. Yeah. I didn't have any, but it was a, you know, well, um, I had a, like, that was kind of something that was influencing my artistic style at the time. Okay. So, um, I drew me and Blake in that kind of version. And, Do you still uh, have that? No. You'll know why though. You'll Ooh, know why. It's getting good. Okay. So Rashida sees it. She thinks it's adorable. And she's like, draw me and Parker. And I was like, okay. So she's like, but draw us kissing. And I was like, Okay. And I didn't know what precious moments looked like kissing. So I made it up. This is in third grade? Yeah. It looked like... What a skank. It looked like... Kissing? Yeah. But they look like fish heads because their their lips were literally like like heart looking. Like they looked like fish fish lips. And they weren't weren't really even like touching. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, 
and she's like, oh, it's so cute, you know, and I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And, and <laughs> I was like, this is turning into something different. But part of me, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like this is me and Rashida. Like this is, this is something, this is something that we're connecting on, you know, like. Because you both liked Blake. Or no, she liked Parker. I liked Blake, but like. Oh, you drew a picture of her and Parker kissing. Yes. Okay. Did I say Blake? I I thought you said Blake. I could be wrong. That's why I was like. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I drew a picture of her and Parker kissing and then me and Blake holding hands. Gotcha. And I was, I don't know. There was this part of me that was like, we're bonding, you know, Mm -hmm. but as a kid, you don't know how to, how to determine that. I just knew that we were connected in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then there was some other girls in uh, Y care that saw it and they were like, oh, that's so cool. You know who I like? And they, they would tell me who their crush was crush was and now this is the point in time where we're practicing cursive so i was writing things like sarah loves blake and rashida loves in these pretty cursives and i have like i i want to say like i have always had pretty good handwriting you know Mm -hmm. like really good handwriting it's just gotten better and i've always gotten compliments mine's gotten worse since i learned to write (laughs) well um uh i wrote our names and stuff so pretty that the girls were like, write down who I like, write down who I like. So this was your first commissioned artwork pieces. Yeah. I didn't get paid for it unless you want to like, but it's still commissioned. Yes. Yes. So these girls started asking me to draw or write who their crush was. And so on this like shitty notebook paper with like the tearaway perforated edges and, you know, we had, all of our crushes and information on this, it became a quick, like, oh man, this is a really important document for a third yeah. grader, right? So it tells everyone's crushes and who they like and things. And That's there was some, some overlap. Serious info. There was some overlap. I distinctly remember some girls being like, Shelly likes John too, you know, like things <laughs> like that. So um, Rashida wanted to keep it. She was like, please, we're best friends. Let me keep it. And I was like, nah okay. And I was like, okay. So, so like naive. I was like, nothing bad can come from this. So I give it to her. She tapes it into her locker. Well, you know how, uh, so in elementary school, they would split us into different groups. Like that way teachers could have like a certain number of students, like 25 students. Right. Um, but there's like a certain number, like a 400 fourth graders or something mm-hmm. or third graders. And so, uh, they would have, separate classes like class A, class B, class C. Well, Rashida was actually in a different class from mine. So she had a different teacher than I did. Well, that teacher saw her her open locker and saw that posted in it. She she walked over to it, yanked it out of the locker, and then asked Rashida where she got it, if Rashida made it. And Rashida was like, no, my friend Sarah made it. And her teacher was like, which class is Sarah in? So I remember reset, the bell for recess had just rung. Mrs. Kelly, well, at the time it was Miss Kelly, but was it Mrs. Kelly? I can't remember. I, my fourth and third grade teachers kind of meshed together because a similar incident happened. But my third grade teacher um, didn't, I'm pretty sure it was Miss Kelly, but she, she, didn't know what was happening until it started to happen. Um, the bell rang for recess. She dismissed the students. And as I was about to walk out, Rashida's teacher comes in and she's like, Mrs. Kelly, Miss Kelly, 
I need to talk to you and I need to talk to Miss Sarah right here. And Miss Kelly's like, oh, okay, you know. And so the other students went out to recess. The other teachers watched them. And um, Miss Kelly had a, a, like a bed in her classroom. <laughs> Like it was silly. Like she, she made it look like a couch, but it was basically like a captain's bed Mm. and she had it there so that during like reading time and stuff like that, like students could like sit anywhere and be comfortable where they read. So anyway, I sat on that bed because it was like right behind Mrs. Kelly's, like near Mrs. Kelly's desk and Mrs. Kelly sat at her desk and the teacher was talking to me and I was sitting on this and I have never felt uncomfortable on that bed until right then. Like my sitting situation immediately, I was like. I was ready to break down because I knew something was wrong and I knew I did something wrong in my mind. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, I'm in such shit. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> and um, this teacher looks so furious. And sure enough, she looked me in the eye and with like this disgust I've never seen in an adult, she was like, did you make this? And I was like, yes. And she was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in a child. This, this is too advanced for someone your age. There's something wrong here. And I, I just cannot believe you would draw this. I cannot believe you would, you would make this. I want you to know that I am, I find it very, like in her words, like disconcerting. Like I, I find this very uncomfortable to see coming from a child your age. Was this just text or you had drawn pictures of them all making out? No, like some of it was text, like cursive handwriting of like, so-and-so has a crush on this person. Mine, like the the only pictures for the most part, the biggest pictures was me and Blake holding hands and Rashida kissing Parker. Um, there was a few other little kissy fish heads in some places, but for the most part, it was writing all over it, like collage writing. Mm. And then those pictures in the middle. Okay. And... Um, I remember I was starting to shake and I was like really, truly terrified of this woman. Yeah. And I was like, I am so, I am so sorry. I, I'm so sorry. Do you want me to throw it away? And she was like, no, I'm taking this to the principal and this might end up on your, on your, um, permanent permanent record, record, Uh. that term, this is going to end up on your permanent record. Fun fact, kids, it's not a thing. And it's definitely not permanent after you're 18. <laughs> right. Um, so even more terrified if possible. And then she told Miss Kelly that I needed to sit out for recess. Like I couldn't, like I, <laughs> I was, I couldn't have recess and that I needed to be punished for drawing something. So like disgusting, you know, did your teacher have your back? No, she, the thing is that this other teacher, I felt like, I think at the time, yeah, like she had seniority is what the excuse was. Like later my mom explained this to me. She was like, apparently Miss Kelly was afraid of this other teacher because she had seniority. Miss Kelly's a buster. That's what they call (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, later that day, um, I'm in class and, um, the intercom comes on and it's the principal or the sec the secrets the secretary. She was like, um, Sarah, report to the office. And you know when anyone does that, all the students were like, ooh, you know. Oh, because they called you over the intercom? Yes. They called me over the intercom. So I had to 
walk my ashamed ass to the office and um the principal had me come into her office her name was principal uh i think it was principal smart or principal pal one of those two we switched principals at one point Mm. during elementary but i remember her sitting down and she was like well, Sarah, this was a complaint by one of the teachers. We are going to make a copy of the image and send a note home to your mom. This is the note and the copy of the image. Um, you need to give this to your mom when you get home. It's very serious and very important, okay? And I was like, okay. And she was like, all right, that's all I needed. And then she made me leave. Well, I got home and I totally crumpled that note and stuff and I threw it in the trash. And I was like, I can't tell mom. She'll kill me. She's going to kill me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die so young. You know. So in the middle of dinner, <laughs> I'm trying to eat my, like whatever my dad made, like rice and chicken or something. And I can't, I can't stomach anything. I'm so overwhelmed with guilt and shame that I, I start crying in the middle of me with like, like, like a mouthful of rice. And I'm like, (laughs) and my mom was like, what is going on with you? What is wrong? And I was like, I have to show you something. And so I take her to, um, I had thrown it in the bathroom trash. So I take her over to the bathroom. I pull it out of the trash. I uncrumple it. And I, I give it to her and my head is already bowed. And I'm like, oh man, I'm so in for it. And it takes a second. She reads the note. She looks at the picture. And then she just starts laughing. Like, she can't stop laughing. She's like, cry laughing. And I was like, I was laughing, but also I was like, what's going on? (laughs) You know, so (laughs) like, I I didn't know if this was like, mom had had a mental breakdown at this point. And she was just going to like, um... I don't know, like, I don't know what she was going to do. That was the problem. I was so, I didn't know what was going on. So I was like laughing, but I was confused and hysterical. And I was just like, I don't know, I was crying earlier and now I'm <laughs> laughing with you. And I just feel like everything's a mess. And so mom's like, honey, once she find, finally calmed down, she's like, honey, listen, come here, come here, sit next to me. And she turned the, to the page with the cartoon I driven drawn. She was like, I want you to know that I think this is beautiful. And I don't think in any way you should feel bad about drawing this, okay? Also, I want to let you know that your principal actually called me at the office. I already knew about this. She called me. And you want want to know what I said? And I said, yes. What did you say? And she was like, she called me. And I was in the middle of work. And I said, yes, you know, is everything okay? Is, Is Sarah all right? And the principal was like, um, well, yes, she's okay. It's just that we had a little bit of an incident. You know, she, she drew something that was very inappropriate. And mom was like, what did she draw? And so the principal told her and the mom was like, did they have clothes on? And the principal was like, what? Mom goes, were they wearing clothes? Like, is there clothes in the picture or are they naked? And the principal was like, oh, well, no, they have clothes on. And mom goes, then why the fuck are you calling me? Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) she's like, why is that an issue? Mm -hmm. And so when I was talking to mom, she told me that. And I was like, really? You said that? She's like, yeah, honey, I'm going to go with you. I'm taking the day off tomorrow. I'm going to go with you to school and we're going to handle this, you know? So, um, she, 
mom got there and she was like, she told the principal what was what she was like, listen, if you're going to make a big deal of this, I'll make a big deal of it too. I'll get my lawyer involved. I don't want to have to go there, but you can't, you can't make this a thing and make this so upsetting when it's not something that should be, you know, um, made out to this kind of degree of inappropriateness. There really, do you really think there's anything inappropriate about this? And the principal was like, no, I don't. But you know, it's the teacher that complained about it. Oh, and I have to come follow these on. What policies, a cop out. Right? What? Uh, and mom, that's what mom did. Mom was like, your I want to talk to the teacher. school is filled with clowns. <laughs> and mom was like, I want to talk to the teacher. Bring her here. I'll talk to her. And the principal was like, I don't think that's a good idea. And <laughs> mom was like, no, I want to talk to her. Bring her here. And the principal was like, no, you know what? Let's, let's just, let's just forget about this whole thing. Let's forget about it. Let's just not worry about it. I'll talk to her myself. You know, I'll talk to her and we'll be okay. And mom was like, okay, I'll let you handle it. But if you, if you even dare to threaten my child with something like this again, I will make it, um, I'll make it a point to call my lawyer and he will accompany me next time we come to we come, <laughs> we come to the school and talk about this. Um, but so the repercussions, so that was great. That part, like that's always stuck in my mind is like, my mom's got me, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know this until later that teacher had actually gone and shown that the original picture and all that stuff. She wanted to confirm with the girls that they had been kind of part of it and they all kind of denied it. They're like, no, no, we don't know, you know? And she even showed the boys. Dang. So, um, and this is like all, uh, this is what I was told later, but apparently the boys knew about it too. Like they saw, like she showed them, showed the sheet of paper of all of our crushes. Sarah loves Blake Megan to the boys. And, um, I became like this huge pariah in that class. Like it was so hard to make friends later just because of that. Damn. Yeah. So, so wait, what happened to Blake? Did you ever talk to him? Um, I think after elementary school, he, he was homeschooled for a little bit. My next best friend that I made was named Krista and she, she also had a crush on Blake and it was so funny because we weren't like competitive in any kind of way. We were just like, like, Oh, we both like the same boy. That's so good. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. And like, we would share stories about how Blake like made eye contact with us and silly things like that, you know? Um, but Blake, uh, I think that he was homeschooled at some point in the sixth grade because I went to CMS West for this for the sixth grade. And then I left after that because my parents got divorced and I moved to Lubbock. Mm-hmm. So seventh grade, I went I went to Ola Slayton in Lubbock. I do remember I came to visit um, that year, like in seventh grade. I'd already started at my new school and stuff, but we came back to visit family. And so I, I got to visit some friends in middle school just to, um, you know, say hi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think I remember seeing Blake there. Like he had been homeschooled for a year and then he was, he was there. He was there <laughs> during my, um, well, I was in seventh grade, but I was going to a totally different school on my one visit. So your summary 
your first big commissioned art piece sums up art is pain. (laughs) So that really gets drilled deep into you. We're going to take a quick break for a sponsor role. We'll be right back with this episode of The Artist. This podcast is sponsored by Movement Creative and Event Services. We're not the watch company, but we are someone to watch. Serving brands, agencies, businesses, and consumers with all your event and creative needs in the form of photography, videography, event design, venue selection, vendor management, production, entertainment, and more. You can find more about us on the web at www.mvmntcreative.com. That's www.mvmntcreative.com. Now back to your regularly scheduled program. You really are a chatterbox. <laughs> I like that. We've we have hours and hours of conversations, mm-hmm. and then as soon as I hit record, you're just you you freeze up. Why do you think that is? I think it's because I know other people are going to be watching it or hearing it. Other people will be hearing it. And um, I don't know. It's one thing to talk to one person and can see their expression and how they're reacting to the things you're saying. And then talking to um, these invisible people, you know, is a little bit, um, it's a whole new feeling for me. Okay. That makes sense. Do you think it's the, is it any worse or different than if you were to give a public speech in front of actual people or you think it's the same feeling? Um, I don't know. All of my public speaking like classes I've ever taken have been like, even if you're not making real eye contact with anybody, pretend that you are. So as you're like looking over a crowd, you're like looking at everybody as you're speaking and you're focusing on your words and what you're saying. But Um, you're talking to somebody, whereas when you're like talking into a mic, it doesn't really feel like you're talking Mm -hmm. to one person in particular, you know, it's for other people, but since those people are not present, sometimes it just makes me a little nervous because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to so many people right now. So I don't even know it. There's some vulnerability there, like obviously, because people can judge you. But what about, I know you had told me that you had done some nude modeling before. Was that, what was that feeling like? Was it a similar thing or is that easier because of the, it's in an art situation? Well, there's these limitations that are set forth, these rules. So no one really interacts with you. You're, you're just there, you know? Do you know any of those people or they're all strangers? Um, the first time I did it, it was with one person that I knew and she was a friend and it was for an art project. And then the second time I did it was for, um, a larger group of people, not more than I think 12 people though. And it wasn't a class that I was familiar with. Like it wasn't for anyone I actually knew. So they were all strangers. Gotcha. And is that like full on? Are you like partially covered up? What is that like? Um, the second time was uh, full on, but I, it's not like I was spread eagle or anything. I was just in a comfortable, lax position mm-hmm. on um, this uh, small block of like the small, very small stage. 
are you like, is it uncomfortable? Like how long does that last? Cause you're supposed to Two stay hours. still, right? Yeah. So is that pretty uncomfortable? Like you have to be pretty aware of like, am I starting to slouch or how does that work? Well, um, you get, op- you get an option. You can do an hour and then you can get up, walk around, move around for older models. That's a really good, um, option. Cause they like to like, um, create more circulation, mm-hmm. but then, um, I, I decided just to do the full two hours because as an artist, I knew what it was like for your model to mo- get up and move. And then when they get back in their position, it's never really the same position yeah, they were yeah, in. Yeah. So I tried to keep my position for like the full two hours. What is the, what is the benefit of a living live nude model versus say having you come do that model, take a still photograph and then put that up, you know, on a projector or something like what's the difference? A lot of the different things. Some of it's, um, a lot of it's kind of psychological because when you're looking at someone in person, um, your brain automatically thinks that it needs to take in the information as quickly as possible. And so you are fast tracked onto thinking about form in the most minimalistic way, what shape is, what, I mean, instead of looking at the shoulders and head and everything, like it as um, a human body, like as a, it breaks things, it breaks things into pieces for you fast, but your brain has to get used to it. Whereas with a photograph, you don't focus on those shapes and those forms. You focus more because you, you, you automatically think you have more time to do it. Mm-hmm. And there's not this feeling of seeing it all together in front of you. It's and evaluating those shapes and forms because in a picture, you're just copying from one two-dimensional um, like entity into another, which is what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know? So you don't have to take into effect of like, you know, your, your brain is, you're obviously in three dimensions, but when I look at you, the kind of transfer of making those three-dimensional shapes that have depth into two-dimensional lines that look like they have that depth you're saying a picture has already done that for you so you just you're basically copying the lines versus in real life you have to look at the nose but not as a nose and I have to like kind of take that out of you and see that shape right understanding yeah and not even just the shape but also understanding depth and how to convey that from three-dimensional form into two-dimensional form. Like you're teaching your brain how to transition and translate the information it's reading. Okay. Okay. Um, same thing with light and shade as well. So like, I think the cornerstones they teach you first is like form, um, depth and, um, your, uh, contrast, you know? Mm-hmm. I want to get back into some of that stuff later on. So real quick. Tell me your name, what you do, where you're from. My name is Sarah Dang. I am a assistant district inventory merchandiser for Half Price Books and a freelance artist. What's the acronym for that first job? A DIM. <laughs> it's um, not the best acronym. <laughs> Is it a fun job? Do you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. No, I like it way more than my last job. Well, my last position. Wait. Top three things about your current job and the worst three things about your current job. 
I, I love my boss. She's amazing and she's What's a great her mentor. Her name's Kara. Shout out to Kara if you're out there <laughs> listening. It's great because when we introduce each other, um, it's like, hey, it's Kara and Sarah. We are the era gang. That's <laughs> good. You and definitely really have good. a career in comedy if you know, the book <laughs> thing doesn't work out. Uh-huh, thank you. For sure. <laughs> um, and let's see what else. I love the freedom of um, making my schedule. So if I need to take a day off, there's less pushback on my requests. Okay. It's even over holidays, which is great. Um, and I like that I'm not stuck at one place every day. I do get to go to different stores and different locations every day. Uh, the downsides. I have to drive in traffic to these different locations every day. <laughs> The journey there is not always the best. When I actually get there, it's a lot of fun. I meet new people and, and mm-hmm. um, learn new things, and it's it's always a great. So what, give me a, but, a real quick. What are you doing though? Like, what is your what is your day to day? What's the goal? Um, so every up. week we go to these other stores and we try to help um, with merchandising, um, books, and uh, especially for like promotional events and stuff like that. Um, there's a person on staff at every store called a SIM store inventory merchandiser, which is what I used to be, but it's only, you're only at one location. It's now my job is on a, over a full district, but, um, so we go to every store, we help with merchandising. We help with, um, providing organization for the back room and creating a system in case there, in case there isn't one. Um, for distributing merchandise around the store. Um, we also oversee the orders for new merchandise and, um, we evaluate trends and what sells and what doesn't and stuff like that. So we know what to order. Basically trying to come up with what should we have here? What are people buying? What are they going to buy next? Whether that's... How do we put it on a display and make it make sell? it look cool? Yeah, right? basically, because you yeah. want people to attract to that. And so the yes, so the 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 store inventory per store they do most of that. You oversee it and then possibly help them if there's like a new launch of a J.K. Rowling book or something <laughs> yes. like that, right? Yeah, I was um, gonna say something much worse, and then I was like, you should say J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. Try to keep that explicit content warning off. So can you say anything you want as long as you don't curse? At work? Like in parental advisory warning. Like can oh. you say anything as long as it's not a curse word and you don't get that explicit content warning? Oh, I think so. I think you have to tread carefully though, because if it's... Like can you talk about like people having sex with elephants and you're still good? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. You don't think so? Like, you think I just got an explicit warning now because of that? Probably. No, that can't be true. (laughs) Like, just as soon as you said it, I felt that that label stamped down on us. So what would... I'll come up with a PC way of saying that. Elephants having tea with humans. There you go. We all know what I'm talking about. Yes. See, we all know. I've heard that on the radio more. Like you've heard people talk like having, innuendo of some kind, and then the following, like following up with, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you know? okay. Okay. I like to be honest, though. You know, I like to be yeah. a straight shooter. So, right. You know. All right. I'm gonna fire off some other questions to you here. You're living in Dallas, in the area. We won't get into the 
there's probably 50 cities in the Metroplex. So it doesn't yeah. really matter where you specifically live. Um, I want to get into your family, but first, give me two of your hobbies and then something most people don't know about you or would be surprised to know. I'm glad you asked me this because the, the that question actually came up in a recent meeting I had, like a recent district meeting. Okay. Um, so something that most people know and most people don't know, right? No, just something, oh. just something that most people don't know about you or they'd oh. be surprised to know. Okay. Um, what most people don't know about me is um, I really love being outdoors. Like if I could go fishing or camping at least once a week, that's something I feel like I would definitely do. Are you good at fishing? Yes. Really? Mm-hmm. My What's dad taught me. the fish you've ever caught? A catfish. How much um, did it weigh? I don't know. It was heavy though. But then again, I had weak, considered small it a arms. whopper. Is that what they say? Fishing? They <laughs> I call think, it a whopper. I don't. Yeah, I think so. Is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> My dad's one who taught me, and I can tell you right now, his English fishing terms are not very good. Can you, if your dad said, "Wow, that's a whopper," what would it sound like? Oh, good one. Good one. That good one. No, but actually say that's a whopper in your dad's voice. The whopper? (laughs) I don't know. This sounds dumb. This sounds deaf. That's not it. (laughs) What I I love about having conversations with you is the borderline to totally racist (laughs) (laughs) jokes and things about it. But you're Asian, so you you can do... You imitate people and Asians more than anyone I know, so. Well, I don't know. I just feel like this situation is way more funny when it's accurate to that person, how that person actually acted in that situation. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the way my dad explains things or says certain things, um, like it cracks me up and, and I love that. And he, he knows I love is that. Is there a funny phrase or like reply he said to you that always sticks with you? Yeah, it's a question. What is it? And it, it carries, it's like has the duplicity of two different meanings. Sometimes it's kind of funny and sometimes it's like really serious, but it sounds the same. What is this? Why you do that? Mm. Like, why you do that? And his tone will sometimes change too. So if it's like, he's just curious and he thinks that what you're doing is kind of stupid, he'll just be like, why you do that? But then if he's like actually angry and he'll follow, like he'll follow whatever his reprimanding up with, why you do that? Like it's, mm, yeah, that sounds a whole lot more phrase. serious. When he asked me why I find it even more like when I was younger, I, would, I find it even more stressful because I didn't know how to answer his question. Cause sometimes he wouldn't know what I meant in English. Does he, uh, does he ever say your full name or he just says why you do that when you're in trouble? No, he doesn't ever say my full name. Um, what is your full name? Sarah Mintu Dang. How do you say your middle name? Um, Mintu. Mintu. How's that spelled? M-I-N-H-T-H-U. Oh, wow. Okay. I would not have thought of that. Yeah. You say it really quick, though. It just rolls off. So SMD, that is your uh, silicon micro devices. That's uh, Yes. mm -hmm. SMD. Nice. I like that. Um, Okay. So you told me something people surprised to know about you. Fishing, camping. Uh, 
What are two hobbies besides the art? Because we all know you're into art. Um, I absolutely love reading. And um, I also really like playing D&D. Okay. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. How long have you been playing D&D? A little over a year and a half now. Okay. Not super long, but um, so, you know, I don't know what a good phrase would be here, what a good phrase would be in the situation, but I really liked playing D and D. Um, but the times I played in the past, it was like one shots. And then it wasn't until very re- more recently, a year and a half ago, um, I found a group and then like a week later I found another group. So then I became part of two different D and D groups. So every week I have a D and D session with two different groups. Quick overview, D&D, it's a card-like... It's a role-playing role game. Play yeah. With cards, so cards involved, yes? Um, or not no? usually. Sometimes okay. there's like little character That's cards. magic. Magic has cards? Yeah, magic is cards. Okay. But um, D&D is purely imagination. Like you, you just have... Sometimes you don't even need it, but you have your character sheet mm-hmm. and that's it. I like to take notes on the story and where we're at so that if there's anything I need to remember... Does it like improv? Yeah, but there's a, but are there a dungeon sets master and stuff and things like that. Sometimes, or? sometimes there are um, the dungeon master will want to um, provide a visual. So like, there's either like models or there's a drawing or um, some people like in one of my groups we play it online, and so there's always like a map so you can see where you are or where like where the story is taking place, things like that. So is there like, but is there like a is there like a Winners, losers, things of that sort. Is there a point system? Is it a continuation from time before? So the whole point of D&D, I think that what people are used to, especially people who don't play role-playing games, is that they're what they're supposed to be doing is earning points to win a game. Mm-hmm. D&D is not about winning or losing. It's, it's really about the experience of storytelling and playing another character in that story. So is there a canon involved or someone just says, hey, here's a... Oh, no, it's there's canon. Okay. There's so much canon, it's crazy, especially if you have a really good dungeon master. So Haley was asking me, that's my girlfriend, of what is canon in something in these kind of made-up stories and universes and comic books. And canon, to my understanding, is something that's official doctrine of the story if it was the bible it would be like what's actually written in the bible like there's other books that were written that aren't in the bible and those aren't official canon yeah i agree in some ways i also think it's kind of subjective though like it's whatever like at least with the D D, um most of the time whenever campaign you're on that story is personalized and customized for that group in a way like there's a general guidebook for certain campaigns that you can make they have like suggested campaign campaigns would you say that is dungeons and dragons for nerds only no it's for everybody for everybody yeah you can make any kind of character you want and it could be did you ever think it was for nerds though before you got into it yeah for sure it's kind of like how people thought video games were just for nerds back in the day. And then now, but everyone now there's plays. sexy video game people. That's there's, the difference. There's sexy role-playing games too. Okay. LARPing. Would you ever LARP? What? Can you define LARPing? LARPing. 
like live action role play? Like, would you dress up? Oh, there's up definitely and some of that. Go into the park and do some of that. Are you there's already def- doing that? Um, not so much with the groups I have right now, but um, I know that we've talked about coming to play D and D one night and dressing up like our characters. Just not all the time, but occasionally. But not like you're not going into the mall and having a D and D adventure. You're doing it no. like in your little. Your your layer or wherever you're at, right? I mean, I've done cosplaying before, mm-hmm. but I've never done. Cosplaying is like cool now, like in the mainstream media. Like it's I mean, cool. There's sexy cosplayers. There's there's con everything. It's like there's yeah. There's you know there's so many of them. Like it's mainstream. Yeah. It's like you know, people go that aren't dressed up like it anymore. Right. It's not like it's a, it's a spectacle. It's a, it's a mainstream thing for now. Well, I think everyone just finally caught on to how much fun it is and how admirable it is when people make their own like cosplay outfits too. I think it's cool. I think it's still super nerdy. (laughs) I think it's cool. I think stuff that people do in general is like, you know. But is being nerdy or geeky more of more mainstream now, would you say? I would. More mainstream, I think potentially because of technology. I think because technology is more mainstream, Mm -hmm. what was typically seen as nerdy was computers gaming was related to that i think people that you know i think there was a negative connotation on the word nerd because of someone who was studious or involved with technology it was typically people like you know computers didn't used to be fun it wasn't escapism you know it was based around numbers and computing and strictly coding like that's how computers used to be so yeah i think nerd now as it's become more understandable i think as people understand things more they accept them more sometimes or sometimes they just become trendy like yeah i have some friends that are cosplayers yeah yeah do you have a problem with like the sexy cosplayer girls who just do that like is it no. like, are they posers or are they anything of that sort no or? i think that if you're adequately um like uh making a um costume that that accurately um is replication of the character i i can't see why that's a problem like there's definitely sexy characters like animated characters or video game characters that um they're just that's how they that's how they've been rendered and so your outfit is going to be like that i know there's some variations though sometimes they over sexualize certain characters that are already sexualized do you know what i mean but is that a problem though with like fan, like with fiction, like in that in like graphic novels or whatever, like of that sexualizing the character so much, or is that just part of it? Personally, I don't have a problem with it. I don't. I think that if you have the um, the balls or the brave, if you're brave enough to do something like that and to step out in front of a bunch of people and um, show them what you've got, then so hey. I was. I was I was just reading an article about how that graphic novels are over over sexualizing women because they are usually written by men who then in turn draw them this way. Is that an issue like to be that way or is it just like I don't have a problem like with you know sexualizing things in general like it's a part of our culture. Like I think as long as you know you're safe and there's consent like be as sexual as you want, like where it's yeah. appropriate. Like I don't personally have an issue with it, but is it, is it a, is it a thing where I think the article is making the case that like 
men still have control over women in this case and are, you know, putting them in these outfits kind of indirectly. I guess I I saw it differently. Um, I don't see it as like men having control because I don't believe that at all. I think that there's plenty of women I've met out there that are like, they don't know it, but I have more control or something than whoever. But um, the way I saw it with, if there is an issue with over-sexualization for graphics or whatever, uh, whatever it is, animation, video, video games, I think the issue is that Maybe it's developing like overstimulants for like you're overstimulatizing um, the viewers and the customers and people. And so they think it's a normal thing to um, act a certain way or dress a certain way or that they should have that expectation of other people. Do you know what I mean? Like it's normal to have your butt hanging out. Yeah. And that's, and that should be an expectation in some way, you know, but it's, transcendent over both genders in my opinion i don't think it's just women but i think that there's i I think that's interesting because it made me think because i think that's a thing of like you know is a responsibility on parents or people upbringing kids it's like you're always trying to like you know separate what is fantasy and what is reality and i think Mm -hmm. both can obviously it's important that we know about reality and where we live and where our, you know, consequences occur. But fantasy has always like helped us escape and dream of other places. And is there a difference between being okay with your body and also being unhealthy, whether that's extremely skinny or I've, you know, I've seen these arguments about I'm body positive, but very big people, but also what part of that is, you know, I think you can be psychologically healthy and mm-hmm. be a big person, but I don't know that, I don't think that, that that necessarily connotates that you are physically healthy and you should be content with that if you are overweight. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that there's um, some, the kind of person, personality I have is one that is always searching and seeking balance, right? Like some type of harmony between all these different varying concepts. So like, and it's hard, it's not easy. It's not easy for anybody, but I think that's why we have things like being mindful, like mindfulness and, um, self-reflection and stuff like that. It's because, um, giving yourself the more, more time and experience of seeing yourself for who you are, understanding what you can improve on, but appreciating what makes you, you and what you're happy with is important. Like gratitude, but still seeking improvement does not, is not a conflict. It is just two sides of one coin. And I think that people think they have to choose one or the other where they're like, no, I always, I need to fix myself. I am so horrible or I'm great. Everything about me is perfect. I don't need to change. And I think that's a very positive message, but maybe to some detriment because some people are not, you know, your, your goal should never be to be perfect. It should be a balance between all of those things, you know? Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think, I think if you're you... sacrificing your health for beauty, I don't think that's a balance. I think that's a big disbalance. And while you might be gaining a lot of one thing, like your beauty or whatever, Instagram your health followers. is sacrificed. Huh? Instagram followers. Yeah. I think, I think I follow, 
I follow a lot of butts on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I would I would call myself a butt girl. It's a like butt a, girl? Yeah, I like I like butts. A lot. A lot. A lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, I'm glad I'm on the other couch for me right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, be, I'm just being I, really I'm honest. Just, I'm just flipping the tables. If I was a female right now, and if you were a guy, and I didn't know you, and you just looked at me, you were looking him in the eyes while you said this, and you just said, "I like butts a lot." I do. Oh. Well, I mean. In an embarrassed way, like I do a lot. I like I like butts. Like I feel like that's probably one of the things. So I'm just saying, like that transcends gender. I don't think it's just guys liking. Like butts. you appreciate that... butts, or would you like? Would you be the grab Sailor Moon's butt in the Comic Con? Would you do that? At Comic Con, no. I I would never invade someone's space without you know, like in that kind of way. Um, but would I um maybe have a daydream about it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, butts are nice. I mean, I think it's a it's just an aesthetically pleasing thing. I yeah. think for a lot of people it's like it's bad and it's, you know, I don't know, like, whatever. But I think it's fine. I mean Yeah. I don't know. I think there's always gonna be certain things that people are attracted to do more than others. Um, I like butts. Actually the things that the thing that I am most attracted to is hands. Like someone has a good set of hands, like I like their hands, that's probably one of the more attractive things for me. Give it to me straight. Rate my hands on a scale of one to ten. That's a dangerous question. <laughs> She's about to annihilate me. Like uh, a six. A six? <laughs> I feel like that was a pity six, too. You were really thinking like a three or a four. <laughs> Jesus Christ. A three? No, a I four? I said six. You're thinking a four. No. You're pity giving me a six. There's two points in there just because you feel sorry for me no. and you can't tell me to my face no. that my hands are a four. <laughs> what's wrong? Hold on. Now what's wrong with my hands? Can I handle this? Tell me what's wrong with my hands right now. Um they're they're kind of small. <laughs> like if you were to hold your hand up to mine, I'm pretty sure it's Maybe the same size. So my hands are adorable. Points off. Yeah, they're Got well. It. Okay, yeah, they're adorable. They're adorable. Points off for being adorable, everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, what else is wrong with my hands? Um, honestly, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just like what I'm personally attracted to. Um, a little different. So what you're saying is that if we met in a bar, and Conversation was going great. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Conversation's going great. Having a couple drinks. We're both single. Things are heating up. We start to make up, make out. You grab my hand and then it's all over is what you're saying. I've just, um, I'm going to say no because hands are maybe one aspect of some things that I'm attracted to. It's not a make it or break it kind of deal. It's just but a... Would you always be thinking about it? Like we'd be married for 30 years, holding hands, driving to Nebraska. To I dated a guy with incredibly small hands and I didn't like his hands at all. In fact, he asked me, he actually asked me that question. Like, what, what are you attracted to? Um, and I was like, hands. And he was like, oh, what kind of hands are you attracted to? And I was like, no, I like bigger, maybe rough hands, you know, like I don't like I, I, That's, that's what I think of when I think of like attractive hands, you know, they have so much character in that way. And he was like, 
my hands are baby soft and tiny. This is not going to work. <laughs> Hold on. All right. We're going to. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, that doesn't break. That isn't, that's not a deal breaker for me. I just don't. I mean, I might well, not. Are you still thinking. dating him? No. Sounds like it was a deal breaker. <laughs> no, but that one, that was that ended totally differently. How much can you speak of Vietnamese? Not very much. I can. I'm going to give you a speed quiz. You ready? I'm going to say a word in English and you say it in Vietnamese. Oh, I'm going to fail that quiz. Are you so ready? I'm going to throw you, I'm gonna throw you some softballs at first. If they're all numbers, one through ten, it'll be perfect. I'm going to throw you some softballs here at first. One, the number one. Mok. Two. Hi. Three. Ba. Four. Bong. Five. Nam. Six. Sao. Nine. Bay. No, nine. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Nam, sao, bay, tam. Tam, jin, moi. Moi. So that's ten. What about fourteen? Um, uh, or something like that. Like, do you know the alphabet? No, it's because the alphabet is the same as it's very similar to American, it's phonetic, but they have different pronunciations for the letters. I think I feel safe to say that I know more words in Spanish. I, I know more words in Spanish. I know more words in Spanish. Yeah, I know oh, more words Lord. in Spanish. All right, can we do a Spanish quiz real quick? Okay. All right. Um, hello. Hola. Goodbye. Um. Adios. Thank you. Gracias. I hate you. <laughs> I don't know what the word hate is. What is the word hate? Hate? Mm-hmm. What's the Spanish word for hate? I don't know. I know the one for love. For love? Mm-hmm. What is love? If you're saying I love you, it's um, tu amo. Te amo. Te amo. Mm-hmm. You're right. Te yep. amo. Well, that's it. You made it to the end. Hope your drive, flight, or bathroom bake was safe and enjoyable. If you like this podcast, subscribe to us on any of the major platforms. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, Anchor, and more. For more shows or tips and tricks on the creative and entertainment industry, do a Google search for Movement Creative or find us on any of the social platforms. As well, you can always find me, your host, on Twitter at Elijah Mora. That's I-L-I-J-A-H-M-O-R-A. Until next time, good morning, good afternoon, and good day.